aiming at 15, 16, 17-year-old young black men in the inner cities of America that have the Davidic, the call of David, and until they are in their place, the move of God in our nation will never ever reach the place that God's ordained. Now it's more than 15, 16, 17-year-old young black men. But at the very center of what the Lord is throwing my heart, I tell you, when the church of Jesus Christ calls forth these young men and they know who they are and they enter into their anointing, there is something in the uh, black community and the Latino community, because we can say some of the same things, it is going to change the face of the worship movement in America. I mean, it's really powerful, and it's really real. I'm going to have Alan Hood come up. Each one of these brothers are going to share just a little bit. But a prophet in our midst, Bob Jones, some of you know the name Bob Jones. He's been very dramatically used in Kansas City in the early days of the foundation of the House of Prayer movement. One of the first words Bob Jones gave me, and some of you don't know the name Bob Jones, but many of you do. Twenty-five years ago, when he told me, when he first met me, he said, twenty-five years ago, this spring, he told me, he goes, God has called you to be a youth pastor. I remember that was a very strange word to me. I had no thought of this. He says, with singers... And musicians, it will be a worldwide youth movement of singers and musicians. And I had no thought at all what he was talking about. He said, you're going to pray for the nation of Israel. And he said, as he's talking to me, he goes, are you a singer or a musician? I said, no. He goes, do you ever pray for the nation of Israel? I said, no. He goes, do you know about this worldwide youth movement I'm telling you about? I said, no. He said, so you don't know anything that's going to happen in the days to come, do you? I said, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. He said, out of Kansas City, and beloved, it's going to happen in many cities, not just here. I'm just telling you our story here, because the same story could be told from other cities as well. But here's what he told me. He said, this... Young adult worship movement, it will never be what God wants it to be until He releases His Spirit among the African Americans first. And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't mean the African American part. This whole movement, He said, the Lord has told me the African Americans must be in their place under the anointing of the Spirit, or this thing will never go to the level God wants it. That was 25 years ago. In October 2007, he had a supernatural experience, and here's what the Lord told him. I just have a sentence. He said, a great harvest is coming from the black community, especially the young people. They will be thrust into an accelerated training mode to function as prophets to the nations, they will have revelatory giftings, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, open visions, and God will cause them to lead in prophetic prayer and worship that will touch the nations of the earth. 
When I read this the other day, I said, this is so exactly in line with what God is telling our leadership here in Kansas City and many other guys and gals that are prophetic across the nations. It is time to begin to be focused on the kingdom order of the worship movement in our nation because so much is in the balance of this. Alan Hood, most of you know Alan. He's the uh, uh, director, the leader of our Bible school. He was one of the guys that helped from day one, helped me uh, in the early days of laying the foundation of IHOP. So he's one of our uh, main leaders here and leads our Bible school. But more than anything, he's a chief intercessor. He is committed to fasting and prayer for the breakthrough of God. He had a very powerful dream the other night about the place of the African American in the end time worship movement. So I want you to share it, Alan. I had the most glorious dream. We were in a new season, and I saw a large building and a large gathering. And in this large gathering, there were Muslim, militant Muslim leaders from all over the world. In a building like this, a room filled with militant jihadists. And as they were sitting there and strategizing, and I knew that there was violent threats and murder of the saints that was going on. Even so, in the dream, I, rem I knew that my life was in danger and other members' lives were in danger. But from behind me was coming forth from the House of Prayer movement the most glorious songs and proclamation about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I knew that the songs of God were going forth on the earth and it was piercing the hardest of Muslim hearts. I knew as it was going forth that those in that room you would have thought were the most resistant to the gospel. I mean, who would you think is the most resistant to the gospel? I mean, even in your minds right now, you might be thinking, oh my goodness. How can the gospel penetrate the Muslim nations? But I want to tell you, in this dream, the glory of God was going forth in the song of the Lord. And the beauty of Jesus, specifically in the love of Jesus, and the gentleness of Jesus, and His beckoning of the people of the earth to worship Him in voluntary love, that they did not have to submit out of force, but He wooed them out of love, and they gladly gave it all. That the call to Jesus to submit in love was vastly superior than the submittance out of intimidation. And as that song of the Lord was going forth, and out of proclamation, I watched as leaders in the militant jihadist movement begin to crumble. Their hearts begin to crumble. They begin to weep over the love of Jesus. They begin to cry out to Him. Even some of the ones in political governments around the world that you could think could never come to Christ, suddenly, as the song of the Lord and the anointed proclamation of the God-man came across the earth, suddenly they begin to turn. Now here's the point for us. I knew that a key to this whole movement were African Americans put in their place in the prayer and worship movement. That God was going to raise up African American leaders to, to oppose the Islamic movement among African Americans. Did you know right now across the earth, right now in America, since September 11th, 
the fastest growing religion in America is Islam. Nearly 90,000 converts a year. Did you know that 80% of those converts, over 60,000 people a year, 80% of those converts came out of our local churches. 80% came out of our local churches and were converted on university campuses and 85% of those 80 of that 80% were African American. Did you know that that's nearly 50,000 African American brothers and sisters went to universities and made a decision that cost them the, their eternal salvation. So they left the church and moved into the Islamic and sold and bought in to that ideology. Now here's the point. The reason why you hear very little about this statistic is that it hadn't touched the white church yet. Eighty-five percent of the con converts are our African-American brothers and sisters. Did you know, just to get in your mind, that means annually the whole, the whole population of the University of Texas converts to Islam and there are African-American brothers and sisters. Put that in your mind right now. Think of the largest university in your state converting in one year annually to Islam. And I knew the Lord was saying He is going to raise up a move of God among young African Americans in this nation who are going to take their place on the wall. They are going to prophesy, preach, and sing of the beauty of Jesus. And it was going to turn back the move among the black nation of Islam. That it was going to contend with that house. So this is a dream you received December 16th. And in this dream, God was raising up African American leadership in the Jesus house of prayer, I mean the Christian house of prayer, to stand in power against the Islamic house of prayer that's exploding in America. And these that were taking their stand for Jesus were singing and the song of the Lord and many of the Islamic leaders were beginning to be saved. And here's the issue, and, and I forgot this one point, that what was going to take place among African Americans in this nation was going to touch the Arab population, was going to begin to touch Egypt, was going to begin to touch Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Indonesia, Syria, Jordan, Turkey. God was going to raise up in Kazakhstan and all the stones that God was going to raise up African-American leaders in worship and proclamation that we begin to shift the power balance in the Middle East. And it was key that we fought for our African-American brothers and sisters. Okay, just just uh, go ahead and stay here. This is Will Ford. Now, Will is a uh, man the Lord has used uh, in a very strong way prophetically. He lives in Texas. Dallas area, Fort Worth. And the Lord, we, we've uh, all been connected for a number of years, a whole bunch of us. 
And the Lord has given Will some very significant prophetic dreams that he has told us over the years. He was just in our midst uh, last weekend sharing them with our body, and I asked him if he would share several of these dreams. Right, uh, first, let me tell you the first dream. The first dream is one of my favorites. In the dream, I'm handed a magazine called Pray Magazine. Which is an actual magazine. It's an actual magazine. This, is, this dream was in August of 2003. Handed a magazine called Pray Magazine. And when I open up the centerfold, there's Mike Bickle in the centerfold of the magazine. And in the dream, he has an African-American wig on. He has a tie-dye shirt on, like rainbow-colored shirt, baggy blue jeans, and his arms are folded like this. And he's leaning. And the caption reads, how IHOP is winning African-Americans into the house of prayer. So... I close up the magazine, and you know how dreams are. All, all of a sudden, I, I'm in downtown, I believe it's downtown Kansas City, and to one side is Mike, clean-cut like he normally is, but to my, my right is my nephew, who's normally clean-cut, but in the dream, he, he has dreadlocks, and he's a gangbanger, and in the dream, he starts shooting a rival gang member right in the middle of the dream, and everyone is running, and they're dispersed, and they're running throughout the streets, and all of a sudden, we hear my, Mike and I, we, we run away from the whole scene, but we hear my nephew crying out in the streets, Somebody please help me! Somebody please pray for me! Somebody please save me! So Mike and I, we go back to my nephew, we share the gospel with him, he rededicates his life back to the Lord in a dream, he agrees to turn himself in, and while we hear the sirens coming to pick him up, he says to me, Who is this guy right here? I said, Oh, this is Mike Bickle from the International House of Prayer. Since 1999, the fire's never gone on the altar. They've been praying 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, worshiping in the session, going on. He interrupts me and he says, how come you never told me about this? Then you know our dreams are. My other nephew, African-American, he pops into the dream and he says, how come you never told me about this? And all of a sudden, I look down the street and I see thousands upon thousands of African-American youth coming towards us and they're all saying, how come you never told us about this? How come you never told us about this? How come you never told us about this? And they're chanting it. How come you never told us about this? How come you never told us about this? How come you never told us about this? And I wake up from the dream in tears. I feel like what the Lord is saying is this. Out of hip-hop into IHOP. Out of hip-hop into a house of prayer movement. In other words, this is a prayer movement, a prayer and worship movement. Why is it out of hip-hop? First and foremost, the reason why is because when hip-hop was first started, and, and people who uh, first uh, founded and formed it, KRS-One, Africa Bambada, Grandmaster Flash, and Cool Hurt, they began to study different... Wait, 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 wait. Say all those slower. Okay. I'm, I'm a white guy. I, right. I didn't catch any of that. Now, who, what, when, and where? Say it slower. All right. Africa Bambada. Okay. Uh, KRS-One, Grandmaster Flash, Cool Herc, when they begin to uh, study some of the other religions that they felt would empower black people, from uh, black Islam to uh, the nation of Islam to the 5% nations of gods and earth, where all, all these things are connected together, and Rastafarianism, they, they began to think that they could use that ideology with rap as a tool to put this in the minds of young black people to empower them and they felt like this could spread across the country the, the whole little movement now many of your 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 hip-hop artists and some of you don't know it but many of them practice 
uh, these beliefs, especially the 5% nations of gods and earth, which is an uh, offshoot of the nation of Islam that says that the black man is God. Uh, they put these things in their lyrics, uh, like uh, Jill Scott actually puts the words from the Quran in her music. And uh, the Wu-Tang Clan, they're strong uh, five percenters. They believe that the black man is God. So they put this stuff in the music, right? Now that's the positive side of hip-hop. Right? Remember back in the day when they used to say, hey man, don't listen to ACDC, don't listen to uh, Megadeth, don't listen to uh, uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Those white boys are crazy. They worship the devil. Remember that? Now how many of you know the devil is an equal opportunity employer? And now we got some of these same folks in the hip-hop who are practicing different things in the old cult to have spiritual influence. So they can have epidemic popularity and fame. One particular is a rapper named Jay-Z. He calls himself J to the his O, V to the his A, which is pig Latin for Jehovah, because he believes that he's a god. And he actually has a backmastered message in one of his songs. Remember those backmastered messages from back in the day? Where he has a backmastered message in one song, uh, Lucifer Dawn in the Morning, where uh, the DJ Danger Mouse remix of it, where he says, 666 murdered Jesus in the song. That's going backwards. Going forward, he has another song. Where uh, in uh, Get That Dirt Off Your Shoulders, the acapella version, where he actually says, Yeah, I got my middle finger up to the Lord, Mother Hannah, my just straight up blasphemy. So that's what we're saying. We don't know Eddie referenced it earlier, um, and he was just trying to use a point of reference to grab your attention. But listen, God is saying, Out of hip hop in the IHOP, out of hip hop into a prayer movement. See, there are actually three temples of hip hop. Listen. Three temples of hip-hop. One in Philly, one in New York, one somewhere else in California. The one in New York has about a thousand members. So the question before a generation is this. Will we be the temple of hip-hop or the temple of the living God and meet God in the house of prayer? There are two worship movements right now going in earth, vying for the affections of a generation through this movement. So in this dream, yes. Okay, I'm in this magazine, right. Pray Magazine, and so I have a the stuff on. Okay. <laughs> And so then your two nephews, they shoot somebody. Yeah, one of them shoots somebody. One of them shoots somebody. And, and they, at the end of the story, they want to be a part of a house of prayer. Yes. And so down the street are thousands of young African Americans Making saying, an exodus out of hip-hop. And they're saying, why didn't anybody tell us about IHOP? Now, it's not IHOP Kansas City. That's not what we're interested in. Right. The house of prayer movement in the earth that will have a thousand different names. We're not interested in this one versus that one versus the other one, but we're talking about the house of prayer movement that focuses on intimacy with God, the fasted lifestyle, the Sermon on the Mount, the prophetic anointing, the end times, preparing the bride. Why didn't anybody tell us? Because they had a place of involvement in the high hop movement. That's exactly right. In other words, once they found out the truth about hip-hop, they wanted the truth of the living God in a worship experience with Him. And that's the sustaining influence that has changed not just our culture, black culture, but the whole nation. Because, listen, 70% of hip-hop music is bought by young white children. 70%. 70%. 70% of hip-hop music is bought by white kids. Right. And the way God has strategically placed uh, the black community here in America, we are catalytic. We set trends. We establish trends from music to everything else. So the things that are decimating us right now, look, it's not just going to hit our house. It's going to hit your house, too. Let me give you the second dream that I had. 
with Although Mike. Although I'm going to say that different because we're in this thing together. Come on. We're in this thing together. It's our house. Yes, this that, thing yes. is hitting. Yes. If it's hitting your house, it's hitting my house. No, Come we're on. in this thing together as the people of God. Amen. So, have another dream with Mike in it. I've only had just a couple of dreams with Mike in it. Several years later, this fast forward to this year, August of 2007, minding my business, and I have a dream with Mike in it. In the dream, Mike says, hey, Will, when was that... Uh, when was that out of hip-hop in the IHOP dream? I said, oh, it was in August of 2003. So in the dream, I asked you about the other dream. Yeah, so in the dream, you referenced my other dream. Wow. So, so I tell you, it was August of 2003, and then all of a sudden, you, you go into the house of prayer. Actually, it was the double wides. You go in there where it all began, and you start releasing this mandate to pray for the church and the black community. And you're firing, and you're releasing these statistics, and you're releasing this mandate. Now... Uh, I don't want to go into all of them, but let me give you just some of the statistics uh, re regarding why we really need to pray right now. Listen, right now, uh, the leading cause of death right now for black women between the ages of 25 to 44 is not heart disease or cancer, it's AIDS. And it's been the leading cause of death for the past 11 years. There are over 1 million people in this nation right now who are HIV positive. Half are African American. Half. We only make up about 12% of the population. And when you think about the AIDS, um, the, well, the abortion crisis in America, though we only make up about 12% of the population nationwide, we account for more than 35% of all abortions in this nation. So 35% of all the abortions nationwide just come from just 12% of the people. Give an example of what, how this affects us. See, about 20 years ago, uh, African Americans represented about 13% of the population, Hispanics represented about 10% of the population. Ten years after that census, African Americans now represent close to 11% of the population, depending on who you talk to, and Hispanics represent 15% of the population. In other words, we're being decimated by this thing. 13 million African American babies have been aborted since 1973. So Mike releases this in the fiery way, and then he comes to me in a dream, and he says, Will, what do you see yourself fitting in all this? I said, Mike, I don't know, God kind of uses me as a connector to, to connect the races as a bridge builder. But before I could even get that out, Mike goes into deep travail and he starts wailing, totally uncharacteristic of him. He begins wailing and wailing, and then he falls into me just wailing. And in the dream, I begin wailing too. Tears are streaming down my face. We fall out in the power of the Spirit in the dream, and I wake up from the dream wailing, and I wake my wife up wailing with tears streaming down my face. So we need each other in this thing. So in this dream, what's happening is IHOP Kansas City is, is receiving a mandate from the Lord to stir up the prayer ministries of our nation, to call out that the African Americans would get in their God-ordained place, right. and that God would turn the tide and release grace. And if the prayer ministries would pray this, this thing would happen if we all go after this together. That's exactly right. So, I mean, uh, here's the thing, even with the Islamic influence, like 20 years ago, there were like 143, let me get this right, there were 143,000 African-American men in prison in 1980. And there were 463,000 black men that were in college. All right? 20 years after that, listen to this, there are 603,000 black men in college, but there are 790 thousand black men in prison. In other words, there are more black men in prison right now than there are in college. 
And this is where this whole ideology of the Islamic influence, people become part of the nation of Islam in prison in order to protect themselves. And this whole thing is the climate is sustained by the music and all the hip-hop culture. But here, here's the deal. God has a remedy for this whole thing, and it's all of us coming in together. Here's what that looks like. This is not a dream. This actually happened when I came to Kansas City first time. Eddie, I'm going to have you come up on Eddie. Get ready. First time I come to Kansas City is uh, November 22nd, 2002. And when I get on the plane to fly here from Dallas, there's a young lady sat next to my wife and I. And all of a sudden, the spirit of prophecy falls on me on the plane. I turn to the young lady and I say, so you're from Southern California, right? She said, yes. I said, not L.A., but somewhere close to L.A. She said, well, I'm from Fresno, but now I live in Long Beach. I said, oh, so uh, you go to Long Beach State, right? She said, yeah. I said, and you're a sophomore there? She said, yeah. I said, you're a psychology major? So you're in the airplane. You're prophesying all this. Yes, all this stuff to her. And uh, you're a psychology major? She said, yes. And uh, I said, you're a friend named Tiffany? She said, I have two friends named Tiffany. What's going on? I said, I don't know. I usually don't do this unless I have music playing in the background. All I know is that God, He really loves you, and Jesus has an incredible plan for your life. And we're, we're, this whole thing is going on. Prophesy extra anointing over her life. This thing is, is about to lift, and I feel the, feel the Lord say to me, tell her there's something very special about her name and ask her her name. So I tell her that, and I said, you know, God's telling me there's something special about your name. What's your name? She said, my name is Zion. I said, Zion, I said, did you know your name was in the Bible? She said, no, she only been saved just a few months. Turn to Isaiah 62, which is just a powerful thing about the mandate for us to pray. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent in our prayer phrase. So the name becomes a praise in the earth. Then it goes on to say that her land shall be called merit. She said, okay, this is crazy because I'm going from California to Kansas City to be in a wedding. And I said, there's something special about your last name. What's your last name? She said, my last name is Reddy. I just say, did you say Redding like Otis Redding? She, she spelled it for me four times. R-E-D-I-E. Girl's name was Zion Reddy. And she is flying from California to Kansas City to be in a wedding. And I felt like the Lord said this to me. He said, I'm betrothing myself to a fatherless Esther generation. Eighty percent of African American youth grow up in a fatherless home. He said, just as a major with psychology, I'm majoring in the soul of the next generation because there's a major battle going on for the soul of America. And I'm getting Zion ready for a wedding. And I'm marrying different races. I'm marrying different movements together. And the synergistic power of this agreement and coming together will break the power of the death culture that was birthed on this day. That day was November 22nd, 2002. November 22nd is when John Kennedy died. And many believe the death culture was birthed in their mother. So here's the deal. There's an exodus coming into the prayer movement. And God is raising up prophetic leaders out of the black community, out of the Latino community in this hour for such a time as this. Eddie. No. I had a dream of this very moment. And I hadn't felt released to share what I'm about to say until now. Mike, Lou, I uh, were called to an Esther fast over the past weekend, and I went on one for three days. And I was studying the book of Esther.
and I came across the passage where where the death decree had reached all the regions and the provinces of uh, the land there that weeping and wailing Jews all over the place begin to pray and weep and wail and put on sackcloth and ashes. But Mordecai, the Bible says that Mordecai, when he began to cry out, what was significant about Mordecai is that he took his cry public. His cry was heard in the marketplace. His cry was heard in the streets. His cry was heard in the places of government. His cry was heard in the schools. His cry was heard and it was... There were those who weren't Jewish who looked at him and say, why is this man tripping? What is his problem? Why is he acting like this? Why is he in such an uproar? What is his outrage all about and it was because his people had been marked to be annihilated and he himself was included in the demise of the people and I got really gripped with the position of Mordecai because of what's happening to my particular culture and I want to be careful with this because it's not a black thing it's a kingdom issue in God's heart I really want you to capture that that this is not a night to say oh let's hope the black people make it no it's the body of Christ coming together saying one of our brothers is in trouble and it's time to intercede on behalf of a people that belong to us and I begin to identify with the cry that came out of obscurity, the cry that came out of the hiding place. And though it might look embarrassing and though it might seem that there will be those who mock, laugh, or even have a problem with the cry. The fact of the matter is somebody has to say the things that nobody else is saying. For as Will was sharing that Half of the, um, the AIDS victims in America are African-American African -American people and how the women in the African-American culture who are getting AIDS are not necessarily getting it from clubs. But right in our houses of worship, worship leaders and musicians and pastors who are men in the house of God are sleeping with each other. And then after they get done sleeping with each other, then they, to keep it on the down low, start sleeping with the women in the church. And Mordecai, when he begins to make this cry, he's making this cry because he is seeing his people dying and realizing that he himself is marked by that same death decree. And I've come to tell you tonight that I saw this about five years ago that I was in this very room. I didn't know it was Kansas City. But I've been nervous the whole night because of what I'm about to say. 
Because I was molested when I was 11 by a deacon in my church. After a church service in the church building. And then when I was 15 years old, I was raped. And homosexual thoughts haunted me for years. But my holiness teaching and background preserved me so much because I was afraid that if I blink wrong, God would send me to hell. So everything in our generation was a sin. But on the inside of me, I lived in torment. And I went when I was 11 to my pastor at that time to tell him what happened to me, and he did nothing about it. This is what's going on in our churches. And just a few months ago, in November of Thanksgiving, I went home to bury a cousin who was murdered in his house. And while being there, Mike, the only person I share this with is Lou. While being there, there was a, a girl who showed up. To make a long story short, I moved to Michigan when I was 15 for about a span of eight, nine months because my parents were going through major trouble in the home and I couldn't take it, so I just left with this guy. I was 15, he was 25, and he was the one who ended up raping me when I was in Michigan. I find out from his sister who went, met me at the funeral. Hadn't seen her, she lived there when I was there. Hadn't seen her in probably 16 years. And she told me that her brother had died. And I said, really, what happened to him? She said, well, about, uh, he died about nine months ago with AIDS. So I came back from that situation. And I'm telling you, because of the things I went through and the things I struggled with, I wanted to tell Will so bad. I wanted to tell Stuart. I wanted to tell, tell Lou and Mike. I don't know if I'm the man for this. Because of the things that had happened to me and the things that I went through. I don't know if I can do this. But I saw this in a dream. God wanted to bring healing and freedom to the African American community and to the church at large. That there is a God that is able to break the death decree that's been assigned to a generation. And God wants to do it. And he wants to do it now. But somebody has to be a Mordecai and take the cry public. Somebody has to say, we cannot live like this. We cannot stay like this. We need a breaker anointing to come into America and rip the death decree off of this generation. And I begin to find out in black churches, in white churches, in Latino churches, that there were men, there were boys in secret 
dealing with the same thing. No doubt I feel there are people in this room who are dealing with the same thing. But I'm standing here to tell you there's a Jesus that can set you free. There's a Jesus that can deliver you. There's a Jesus that can bring you out of the inner torment and cause you to know that you are a man of God. And that no lie in hell has to dictate to you your sexuality. You are who God says you are. Whatever Jesus says about you, that's all you have to believe. You're exactly what God calls you are. One of the reasons why there are so many people turning to Islam is because in the Islam faith, the men are strong. There's standards, there's belief systems that they say you can die for this. Yet in our churches, we go on with business as usual as if there is no death decree. And we have our churches that are nothing more but houses of prostitution with men and women sleeping with the people who are supposed to be leading us into the presence of Jesus. And people look at that and say, why should I serve that kind of God? And my... Oh God. My plea to you all who are hearing this is that your grandmother served a different God than that God. Your grandfather served a different God than that God. I know what it's like to see a God that heals. I know what it's like to see a God that breaks cancer. I know what it's like to see a God that breaks alcoholism and addiction. I've seen God raise them out of wheelchairs. I know a God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or think. I have a young man. I have a young man in my ministry right now. His name is Khalid Mahmadi. He was raised in a Muslim home for 19 years. He himself, when he was in high school, turned other high school students away from their faith because he had more passion about Islam than they did about Jesus. But he came into our ministry. The Lord said, take him on the road. I'm going to save him. Three days later, he has an encounter with God. He had an infection with his mouth. And God completely healed him of the infection. He gave his life to Jesus. And when his daddy threatened to kill him, he says, I can't deny him because he revealed himself to me. When his daddy threatened to disown him, he says, I can't deny him because he revealed himself to me. And I'm telling you, those who call yourself Islam, I'm telling you that the Jesus. Jesus that will show himself to you. His sister Elisa 
is part of our, part, came into the ministry. She's part of the IHOP ministry now. Elisa gave her life to Jesus while she was still living in her Muslim home. It's Khalid's sister. She had an encounter with God. The Holy Ghost just stepped into her bedroom and revealed himself to Elisa. And while Elisa was in her bedroom, she gave her life to Jesus. Her daddy came home and found out about it. He began to beat her and spit in her face. But she said, Daddy, I can't renounce this Jesus because he did for me what Allah could not do for me. I prophesy that there is coming men back to the house of God who will rise up and be warriors and examples to this fatherless generation that this fatherless orphan generation will not only know God as their father but the hearts of the father will be turned back to their children and the hearts of the children will be turned back to their fathers God raise up fathers oh God raise up men of integrity raise up men who are holy raise up men who are pure Stuart, come on up. Just for the record, you are totally the right guy. <laughs> you are totally the right guy. I love this guy. You know, the, the Lord, it, it's amazing. Eddie had a dream when he was 15 years old. That was 20 years ago. He's 35 now. 20 years ago, had a dream. And in this dream, he was in a 24-hour worship house where the singers and musicians were going 24 hours a day. And he went to his mother and said, Mom, I saw this. And, and she said, Eddie, that can't happen today. It's America. It's too expensive. People are too busy. It will never happen again. And he said, Mom, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to be. Twenty years later, Eddie just comes to buy to visit and say hi. And just uh, and uh, he came in the house of prayer. And I'm going to meet with him for coffee afterwards. We're going to just get acquainted a little bit. He came. His eyes were all big. He said, I'm moving here. I, I said, well, well, what do you mean? He goes, I'm moving here. I'm bringing everybody. I'm, I'm bringing everybody. I said, well, you don't even know what we're doing. He said, yeah, I don't care. I had a dream, and I just sat in that room in the middle of my dream, and I saw my life right before me in the way the Lord showed me when I was 15 years old. There are so many young African-American Young men and women with a call of David on them. They have an anointing for battle and war through prophetic intercession and worship. And they're having these dreams, but they don't know what to do with it. And Eddie, the Lord sent you here, like I said earlier. You were one of the great gifts of God. You and Lou Engel, He gave you to us on our eighth birthday to our senior leadership team. And we are excited. You are God's perfect choice to help lead this movement 
Just as you are, He sent you here. Anything you want to say about that dream? It is, it is an absolute fact that I was 15 years old, uh, just really getting into ministry at that time, and went and I had that dream. And when I came to Kansas City, I realized I had walked right into the middle of it, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! I will stay a part of this in some form forever." I mean, this is—I have dreamed of something like this happening with 24/7. There was a sound of worship and, and, and praise going to the heavens and touching our Father's heart 24-7. And uh, when I saw that this was the place where that was happening, I said, this is home. We have to come here. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Stewie, tell us what's on your heart. Stuart Greaves, he's been with us from almost day one, the, almost the whole eight years. He gives leadership to about ten things in our missions base, particularly the night watch. And a, a man, uh, Alan, so key in our Bible school, our senior leadership team, been here seven of the eight years, or seven and a half, actually, of the eight years. And so, come on up here and just tell us, uh, Stuart's one of the, the, uh, mo the clearest, Alan would say the same thing, revelatory teachers of theological depth and revelation of the Word of God, a true statesman in the body of Christ, an end-time messenger. And so often when we get in these big discussions around the table, we a bunch of us get around the table, uh, you know, we, we begin to hash through issues, and Stuart so often has that word of clarity from the Bible that brings the thing to solution. And so even in this, as the Lord's been unfolding this just the last six months, you have had profound insight on what's going on. So go ahead and be seated. And let's, let's do a share for a few moments. Then we're going to have Lou come up and just a little bit longer. Now, by the way, right after this meeting, we're not going to go on real long. After this meeting, Stuart, Will, Eddie, Kyle back there, they're going to take, go to room D, room D. It's where all the, the uh, seminars are, right over there. You go down there, you go that way and cross the walkway, room D. It's a big room. And we're asking all the African-Americans that are here, they're going to go there. No white people allowed. No, for real. And they're going to have a microphone, pass the microphone around and talk as fathers. Got a few ladies involved as well. Talk as fathers and mothers and have an open forum and discussion. And the reason we don't want any white folks there, really, because we want a free interaction that is not tainted by people thinking, feeling, hedging, any of that, and we're gonna, you're going to talk as spiritual fathers, some others as well, are going to have a microphone passing it around, and just an open forum for an hour or two, what's happening in our nation, where we fit in the prayer movement, what's going on, what are we supposed to do, so it's kind of a spontaneous meeting, we're going to have it again, room D, you just go right down that uh, hallway there, I mean that walkway, through the, past the bookstore, go left across the street, and it's, it's all marked there, big room D. So we're going to do that about 15 minutes after we in, uh, end here, we're going to end here in a few minutes, so just begin to get that ready. I think it will be a significant time to talk to these spiritual leaders. Beloved, God is raising up African Americans in the, in the role of King David, I mean this to give dynamic leadership to our nation. The white people, we can't put you in that place. We can't call you to it because we don't have the authority to put you there. And we don't have the authority to call you there. 
God is calling you there, this isn't about honor. It's not white people honoring black people and black people honoring white people and the Latinos honoring... You know, it's not that. It's not about honor, although I believe in honor. This is about divine order. This is not about honor. This isn't a, I'll be nice to you because you've been nice to me. This is a revelation from heaven at a critical time in our nation that God says, I have an order for the worship movement in this nation. I know what I'm doing in Alan's dream that the African Americans that are, that are leading the Islamic house of prayer in America, and incidentally, they want to put a house of prayer, Islam does, on every university campus in America, a house of prayer, a 24-hour house of prayer. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to put a Jesus house of prayer on every single university campus as well. And Islam is, is taking the African American, the loyalty of these men, as leaders in this movement, God says, I have my African American men that I'm raising up with the anointing of David, and they are going to be at the point of the arrow, and it's going to cause a breaking open of the purpose of God in our nation. And so this isn't just about honor. This isn't about kindness, though I love honor and kindness. This is a revelation at a Kairos time, a prophetic time, where divine order is being established in our nation, God's putting divine order in place. Nobody else is doing it. But we are hungry enough for God. We want to rejoice in it, celebrate it. We want to submit to it. And we want to be a part of the increase when the order of God is in place. So, Stuart, tell us some of the things that the Lord has stirred on your heart that we've been talking about. Well, there's a, there's a great end-time drama that is unfolding. And all day today, I kept thinking about Zechariah chapter 8, verse 1, where the Lord says that He has great zeal for Zion. And the reason why I believe that verse has been in my heart is because there's something way bigger going on than um, the black community being put in divine order. The thing that is stirring in the heart of God is I believe that we're living in a generation which the Lord is going to return. And the thing that's going to precede the return of the Lord is... Gentile believers all across the nations of the earth uh, in conscious of prayer contending for the breakthrough of God that will result in the return of Jesus to the planet. And one of the reasons why the Lord is establishing this divine order is because divine order is necessary for the increase of the release of revelation and it will be necessary for the increase of the release of authority in the place of intercession. In Ezekiel chapter 5, verse, um, chapter 5, verse 15, the Lord tells the nation of Israel that the nation of Israel will serve as an object lesson or as a prophetic picture to the nations of the earth that as the way the Lord deals with Israel, so the Lord deals with the nations of the earth. In the days of Moses, the nation of Israel found themselves in slavery for 400 years. And the cries of the prisoners came before the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer named Moses. And Moses went into the wilderness, and after 40 years of preparation, the Lord sent Moses to Pharaoh with the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord to Pharaoh was this, Let my people go, that they may worship me. Let my people go, that they may worship me. And the Lord called the nation of Israel out of slavery, brought them to Mount Sinai, and He gave them their prophetic, uh, their prophetic mandate to be a kingdom, to be a nation of priests to lead the whole earth in the worship of the true and the living God. It's my conviction that the slavery and the oppression of the African-American uh, community and the Africans all across the nations of the earth who have 
uh, who have been a product of oppression and slavery, that it was a demonic assignment to cut off their prophetic mandate, but that from heaven's vantage point, it was a pressure cooker to prepare a people to deliver them at the golden forth into the place of worship. Lamentations chapter 1 verse 9, the prophet Jeremiah says that the nation of Israel had forgotten their destiny, therefore uncleanness had entered into her skirt. Because the nation of Israel was caught off from her hope, because the nation of Israel was caught off from the prophetic vision that God had given her, she lost her way and she began to, and she began to give herself to false worship and false idols. The Lord raised the prophets, and one of the things the prophets often did is they, they gave divine perspective and divine interpretation of Israel's history. And beloved, in this hour, the black community has need of messengers, men and women, who will have divine perspective, who will help to interpret their past, to make sense of their presence, to prophesy their future, so that the black community will be delivered from the uncleanness that has entered into her skirt. And I'm here to tell you, the black community is not coming out of Egypt. The black community is coming out of Babylon, beloved. The black community in this hour is in Babylon with all her wealth, with all of her comfort. And in this hour, the word of the Lord is this, come out of her. Come out of her. Come out of her. Out of Babylon into the house of prayer as the Lord did with the prophets like Haggai and Zechariah. And in this hour, the Lord wants to raise up messengers who will proclaim the word of the Lord, who are saying to the black community, do not say in your heart, it is not yet time to build the house of prayer. The Lord wants to raise up messengers who will proclaim the word of the Lord, who will stir the hearts of young 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, and it will stir their inner man to lay hold of the purpose of God and to build the house of the Lord in this hour. That's all I have. Lou, come on up. It was in uh, 1996 when uh, we went on an extended 40-day fasting season and we launched a 24-7 house of prayer. And uh, it was during this time that my friend received a dream. And the dream was a Buddhist house of prayer was on top of a Christian house of prayer and the Buddhist house of prayer was dominating the Christian house of prayer. But in the dream, the Christian house of prayer did a reversal. And the Christian house of prayer began to dominate the Buddhist house of prayer. The dream came so profound to us. And the Lord gave me part of my job description in life. And that was this. Raise up a house of prayer that contends with every other house. In America, we've had a prayer meeting the church has had a prayer meeting, but the Muslims have had a prayer culture. How is the prayer meeting going to contend with the prayer culture? The fact is, our prayer meetings are very little attended anyway, but God is bringing a reversal, and God wants to raise up a contending house of prayer that contends with every other house in the whole earth over Buddhism 
And our enemies are not Buddhists. And our enemies are not Muslims. They are, our enemies aren't people. They're principalities and powers that are being fueled from the demonic realm of those houses of prayer. Folks, God is raising up an answer. I want to say something here tonight. We are in a divine, prophetic moment. We must not miss this moment that we're in. For it was in 1989 where a prophet, Paul Cain, saw a vision, December 1989, a vision of a building that he thought would be in London or Berlin or somewhere. And this building would house a place where a massive prayer movement, a youth prayer movement would take place. It would fuel a new movement of holiness, a new sound of worship. And that this building would be a birthing place of that gathering. He called Mike Bickle and said, I've got to, I, I, this is what I saw in my vision, but I've got to fly into Kansas City tomorrow to tell you about it. And Mike said, well, you've already been telling me about it. He said, no, I've got to fly in. The next day, Mike was coming to this very place, this very building, because they were preparing for a conference that would become the One Thing Conference. And when they walked into this place, Paul Kane declared, this is the building I saw. This very building right here. Listen to this. Hold it. Not knowing, listen to me, listen to me, please listen to me. I think the future of America and the nations depend on the responsiveness of the hearts of God's people right in this building right now. December of 89, Paul Cain gets the vision, comes here and sees the building. December of 89, a gathering of Muslims takes place under the steel rafters of this building right here. And they called for oceans of blood and jihad here in the heartland of America. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord says, I'm going to raise up a standard. I'm going to raise up a fasting company of people. And Ramadan won't be the only place where people will be fasting 30 days. God's going to raise up 40 days of fasting. 21 days. He's going to raise up a fasting movement of men and women, young men and women, who will shake and shift principalities in power. He says, I'm going to raise up a 24-7 house of prayer. Muslim proclamations for 1,400 years have been fueling the demonic realm. 1,400 years of proclamations declaring God doesn't need a son, declaring that there is no God but Allah. But I tell you, God is raising up 24-7 proclamations, day and night worship and intercession, declaring there is only one God, and His Son, Jesus Christ, is the only way to Him. And day and night worship will fill the whole globe. Incense will fill the whole earth. And Muslims will come under the influence of and they'll be redeemed and be saved. Folks, it is not an accident that that same month, but Paul Cain saw this building. Muslims came here to call. In the Kansas City Star was recorded, 
came here to call forth oceans of blood. Brothers and sisters, we cannot miss this moment. I tell you, I believe that God is going to raise up something that will shake this nation. 1996, I had my first dream of a call to pray for governments. And in this dream, I saw a stadium filled with people. And I saw Bill Clinton on the stage. And I took the mic. And I declared, and I spoke to the stadium, it is time to stop pointing the finger at Bill Clinton. It's time to pray for him. I tell you, governments are going to be warred over because in the dream, Bill Clinton begins to weep profusely and I turn around and I see Muslims are coming toward him, bringing their materials and he stands and he says, isn't it amazing that these two groups are contending for the soul of my nation? The house of prayer that will fill stadiums will arise with the Muslim thing. Folks, right now we are in the balance. There must be repentance. And God is saying, I'm going to bring forth a surge of fasting and prayer. And day and night, 24-7 house of prayer. I believe there's hope for America for a great awakening. If right now... Right this very moment, we say, God, this is the Lord. We're going to pray for the African-American to lead of the way. The great Latino armies are rising in prayer. Folks, we're in the day, and I want to challenge us. Let us not miss this moment right now. God says, raise up a house of prayer that would contend with every other house. The last thing I'll say is I was in a hidden people group overseas in a town that had no church completely Muslim and I went there to pray and at 4.30 in the morning I heard the Muslim call to prayer and it seemed like it started in the distance and then in every mosque seemed like there was a mosque in every neighborhood you could hear the, 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 the chants and till the whole city was under the sound of the chants boasting the dominion of the darkness over the city. And I woke up hearing this sound, and the Lord spoke to me, can you raise up a house of prayer to contend with this kind of house of prayer? And I feel like, I, He doesn't ask a question like that. If He doesn't mean to bring forth an answer, I'm yes to it. Because the great people who believe that God is great, and weak people dare to believe, they'll rise up, and they're going to shake the nations. Why not America? Why not here? Why not launch it out of here? Why not a movement occur out of here that spreads through the whole nation and the African Americans lead the way? Hallelujah. The Lord is great. There is no other God by it. Yes, I do. Amen. In 1996, there was a thing called the Million Man March that was led by, um, by the Nation of Islam. And... Um, I was a college student at that time and this event had taken place and there was all kinds of reports going around during that time as to how this event was not uh, successful and so forth. And I remember in my own heart asking the Lord, said, Lord, what do you think about the nation of Islam and where does it fit in light of your purpose in this nation? And one night I had a dream and in this dream I was walking in this large uh, plaza and I could see uh, various um, enemies of the church that were in this plaza and I was just walking around seeing the various enemies of the church and then I saw this large uh, limousine with these two uh, black men sitting in the limousine wearing a tuxedo and whatnot 
and they're conversing back and forth about the impact of the of the, the Million Man March. And all the, as I was overhearing this conversation, all of a sudden the voice of the Lord broke in and said this, the nation of Islam is a foe that the church of Jesus can no longer ignore. The nation of Islam is a foe that a church can no longer ignore. Beloved, when we hear the leaders of the nation of Islam, and I'm referring specifically to the black nation of Islam, I believe the vast majority of the church has treated it as a mockery, but before heaven, heaven says it is a serious foe, and it's a foe we can no longer ignore. And the way that we pay attention to this foe is by standing before the Lord in the place of fasting and prayer and asking the Lord to release the light of revelation upon young black men and women in this nation. We are asking the Lord to send forth His light, to send forth His truth, to make known the beauty and the majesty of the Son of God, where the name of Jesus is no longer a cliche in the black community, but at the revelation of the Apostle Paul, that Christ, who is filled on unsearchable riches and wealth and glory, is filled in the inner man, that the Lord would raise up preachers who are proclaimed the beauty of Jesus with signs and wonders, that it would grip young black men and women with holy fascination, that they would fall in love with the beauty of the bridegroom, who is filled with holy longing and desires for them, beloved. That is the answer in this hour, that we would contend for the inbreaking of the spirit of revelation, asking the Lord to send forth His light and His truth as we contend against this foe called the nation of Islam. One, one other thing is that the nation of Islam historically has been a very violent movement. Beloved, this thing is going to culminate in bloodshed. We have need of courage in this hour. We have need for courage in this hour. And the reason why I'm, I, want, I feel my heart to stir to make this point is because this is not yet another cute little thing where we have a little emphasis on the issue of race. Beloved, this thing is essential to the proclamation of the apostolic gospel. The preaching of the gospel at the very center of it is the issue of reconciliation. The reconciling of our hearts to God and a reconciling of our hearts to one another. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul and Peter, they find themselves in Antioch. And Peter, as a, as a Jewish apostle, he finds himself in fellowship with Gentile believers. He crosses a racial and an ethnic barrier and he begins to converse with these Gentile believers. Early on in Acts chapter 15, the Apostle has clear understanding that the bringing together of Jew and Gentile and the bringing together of divine order of any ethnic group is because it's rooted in the, in the establishing of the tabernacle of David in the Millennial Kingdom, Amos chapter 9 verse 11. The Apostle Paul has that revelation and he finds himself um, interacting with these Gentile uh, believers. Peter looks, looks over his shoulders and the brethren from Jerusalem show up. And Peter sees the brethren of Jerusalem and he's filled with fear. He's filled with fear. And the Apostle Paul sees Peter cowering in fear and compromising the gospel. And Paul rebukes Peter. Here is the culmination of Paul's rebuke to Peter. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. 
He says, Peter, I, Paul the Jew, I, Stuart Greaves, the African man, I, Mike Bickle, the white man, I, whoever your ethnic group has been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Beloved, God is not colorblind. Now, hear this. God is not colorblind. But where our ethnicity is a source of division, it is an affront to the gospel, and it needs to be nailed to the cross, and our primary identity must be rooted in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. And that is the thing that is going to give us courage in this hour. And so we must ask the Lord to give us might and courage as by His Spirit He is establishing the divine order of the various ethnic groups as He's raising up a worship movement in the earth. I was uh, in a 50 days and 50 nights, day and night intercession for the elections of 2004. We met in an African American church and an African American pastor Preach this, and I want to speak and just speak to the to apostolic movement. He preached on Acts chapter 12, and Acts chapter 12 is where Peter is in prison, the apostle is in prison, but the church is in prayer. As the church is in prayer, the gates are opened sovereignly and supernaturally through the angel of the Lord, and the apostle Peter is released out of prison. And he goes to where the house of prayer is going. And this African-American leader begin to declare the apostolic movement. You will know the apostolic movement because the apostolic movement is breaking out of prison and it's going to the house of prayer. There is coming an apostolic movement. We're going back to the foundations of the book of Acts. The only thing that Jesus left behind when He left the the earth was a prayer movement. Hallelujah. And the apostolic movement is returning to the house of prayer. It's being set free from programs. Set free from all this stuff. And returning to the house of prayer. So we just speak this forth. An apostolic movement that is being released to go to the house of prayer in Jesus' name. Okay, let's all stand. What I'm going to ask is for this front part to get cleared out here, because we're going to have a short prayer time. I want all the singers and musicians, those that are actually functioning somewhere on a worship team right now, I want you to come and stand up here on these lines, if you would. Singers and musicians. Just go a couple steps behind just so we can have a walkway between you. No, I mean, you can come up to this line, but I mean the folks right behind you, just so we can get people to come stand in front of you, is what I'm trying to say.